Welcome back, everybody. Another week of Taurus Talk here at the SG Taurus Company. We have a very special podcast for you today. We have probably our most important guest we'll ever have on the podcast. <laughs> Extremely special guest, the president of Residential HVAC and Supply at Ingersoll Rand, Jason Bingham. Jason, first off, thank you so much for joining us in our little corner of the country. Thank you uh, very much for coming on Taurus Talk. Very, very excited to be here. And joining us this week, since we have such a special guest, we have both of my co-hosts, Kevin Ronigan, the train field sales manager at SG Taurus, and Paula Con Cannon, the American Standard Field Sales Manager. Welcome to both of you. It's nice to have you both here. Thank you, Matt. Pleasure Thank to you, be Matt. Back. Jason, you're now the president of Residential HVAC and Supply at Ingersoll Rand. Can you just give us a quick overview of how you got to be where you're at within the company? Sure, yeah. I started with the University of Tennessee. I have a little southern accent there and uh, hired right into train company right after college. Went to Alabama as a sales engineer for uh, about 10 years in a couple different locations. Then had my first uh, real leadership position, and I moved to Roanoke to run the operations there. And that's actually where I learned about culture and and what not to do, and yet uh, learned a ton. It was probably my greatest learning experience there as far as a leadership. From there, I went into... um, uh, district management, so I went from just Roanoke to all of Virginia, and that's where I learned how to try to start leading culture in a, a different city. Then I went into territory leadership, where I was trying to help other district leaders do similar uh, lessons, not the same mistakes that I made. Then went into a strategy leader role for a while. Then I was the uh, vice president of energy service controls in the commercial division, and then just got this role in, uh, about a year ago, almost exactly oh, a year wow. ago. Wow, that's quite a journey. Congratulations on being almost a year at the, the president position. And as you mentioned a couple times today, we're going to talk about culture and the culture around different companies as you've seen it and as you've written in your book. For everyone out there, you can go out and get Culture Ship, the ACBs of Business Leadership, written by Jason. You can find that pretty much anywhere online. Just look that up. Jason, if a company has not addressed culture when you go into a company or when you're addressing a company, what's the first thing you would suggest that they do to address that and kind of build a culture within the company? So if you're just kind of getting started, you're, the first question is why are you getting started? Uh, because it's if the leader's not bought in, then probably nothing's going to really happen. And so which leader are we talking about that is getting started becomes the question to the answer to your question, if you know what I'm saying. that is it the leader at the top that's very interested in wanting to get started? Is it a leader in between that's very interested in trying to get started? Either one of those can be very successful, but the question is important because if it's not coming from the top, you have some other challenges you have to face as you go into that. Um, so that's probably the first answer is, where does this commitment to culture really exist at all the different leadership levels? Culture is something that's really important here at the SG Taurus Company. We talk about it a lot. Uh, Matt Bedard did a podcast on it not too long ago. Why is it so important that every company kind of adopt some sort of culture? Well, first of all, you have a culture whether you're adopting it or not, whether you're mm-hmm. leading it or not. A culture exists, right? And, and what's interesting about that thought is the associates in the company, because culture, the definition of culture is a team's beliefs about how things get done around here that then guides their actions and decisions. Because that's the definition, that also means that whatever culture you have is owned by the people that are in it. They're the ones doing those behaviors and decisions. It's already owned and it's already there. The question is, can I affect it so that it's a high-performing culture? Can I do things as a leader? Can I work with the teams in a different way so I can take it from where it is to a high-performing culture? You've been around for a long time. How tough of a process is this to get people to buy into a culture and to really change a culture that may be misguided? One of the 
core things I've learned, or at least I now fully believe, is that 95% of all people want to be great. 95% of all people want to do the right thing. If you come at it from that, if you really believe that statement, then looking at a team and saying, what are we not doing right? What is the thing that we should be doing better? What is the way we're not treating each other with the right respect? or Whatever that is, most people are really excited to engage in that discussion. It can be awkward at first because we're talking about behaviors, but if you just let that silence simmer for a little while, people will engage. The leader actually can get out of the way and the engagement around what behaviors could be right or better around here gets really thick. And that's what takes off. So I haven't found a lot of negative or, or toughness in trying to get something moving. The toughest part is the leader's confidence or courage to start a discussion around behavior, actually. And, and to that point, you know, we do a lot of work with small companies that grow. You know, they might be a one or two out man outfit when they start. And like you say, once the associates start to come into the business, all of a sudden that culture question starts coming up. And one of the first things that somebody could do is create a mission statement or a vision statement. Could you perhaps uh, kind of define the differences between a vision statement and a mission statement, you know, and when to use one or the other? Absolutely, yeah. So if you Google vision or mission, you'll get contrary definitions galore. So at some point, you just have to pick one. And the ones I've picked is that the vision is the where and the mission is the why. So where are we going together? It cannot be uh, tomorrow. It needs to be more longer term. And in fact, it's more aspirational than anything. It's a it's a direction. Like we're going west back in the old day when you're going west. We're going west. We don't know what it looks like over the Rocky Mountains, but we're going west, right? That That's the example of a vision. We're going this way. The goal is to get the whole team going in a common direction. The mission is the why. It's the purpose. And the importance of that, it cannot be exaggerated. It, it is really important that it's a purpose that's meaningful to the team. Because you're going to get people's, people want to do their best, but you're going to get their extra ounce of energy. You're going to get that extra, if they get out of bed knowing what I'm doing is really important, that I'm making a difference. And so that's the importance of the mission. And that's why you need both. Here's where we're all going together, and here's why it's so important we get there as fast as we can. And talk to me a little bit about a fix-it event. Tell me a little bit about that and the meaning behind it. So you had asked earlier, um, how hard is it to get um, associates kind of bought into this thing or moving? Well, one of the easiest things to do is do a fix-it event. So tell me what's not working around here. How many people can answer that question, right? <laughs> how long in. do you want the list to be? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Might need a little it's, time it's with so that. It's <laughs> so easy. So you, you, you have them get together. We used to do this in the Virginia district back when I was the district manager there. We'd have an outing, and we'd have associates from every small team representing that team. And their job was to first to meet with that small team to gather the things that needed to be fixed. And then they would bring it to this bigger, broader team, and they would have to come up with, to combine all of their lists into their into their combined list. And after they did that, then, I, then we would agree to the top 10, whatever those were. And then we'd send them back out to develop their business plan for the top 10, and they were to present to me at the time I was the leader, present to me, and I had to, on the spot, say yes or no. And if I said yes, then they were automatically, at that point, empowered to be the leader. They had complete charge of that project, even in the way of their boss, if you know what I'm saying. They had authority over their own boss. Go get that project done. And so that, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit as well as empowerment just fired everybody up. And we followed up with them, you know, every couple of weeks or so. And then lo and behold, guess what? They fixed a lot of stuff. 
here with Jason Bigham, president of Residential HVAC and Supply at Ingersoll Rand. Jason, in your book, you highlight 10 beliefs. For those who may not have read it yet, can you tease a few of the, the real highlights within that list that you believe are the most important? One of them is leadership is the leverage point. That one is um, hopefully recognized. If you read or, or as, as we can talk more about the, the idea of leadership, it's not authority. And in fact, that's where most leaders make their mistake is they use their authority versus building influence. And if we're honest with each other, when a leader gets authority, when they get the job, that's the easiest thing for them to do is to use their authority. But the harder thing to do is to serve. The harder thing to do is earn respect. The harder thing to do is to earn influence. And that's why I think most leaders mess up, but it's also why it's the leverage point. So if a leader does approach it that way, then it could be very powerful for the organization because the leader is the number one influencer on how things get done around there. So back to the, uh, the definition of culture, the leader's the number one influencer, so that makes them the leverage point. The other one that I would pull out is grow, serve, and perform. That one is has been powerful for me for a long, long time. The idea that um, I should run my life first recognizing who I am, what my strengths are, and how do I grow those, and then turn around and exclusively focus on how I serve others with those strengths, with that growth. And then the third piece being being uh, intellectually honest about the results, what worked, what didn't. Look at that performance and learn from that. Learn what I could do better the next time, learn what I did right in doing it again. And so therefore I'm growing again It's this circle of life. I really believe it's the circle we should all be running of who are we and how do we grow us so that we can serve others, so that we see those results, so that we grow again. And at the end of the day, uh, make ourselves as, as valuable to this community and, and, the, and the world as possible. So that grow, serve, perform would be a, another big one. You read a lot of uh, economic stats these days about employment and the, you know, the younger generation not really sticking in one job for more than three or five years, or whatever the average is right now. As a leader, can you speak at all to the challenge of, or does it change the conversation at all with somebody that you know may not be with you for more than a couple of years? As a leader, how do you, you know, do I invest in this person? Do I... You know, is have you seen a change in that dynamic where people don't stay with companies like you know I, I was with Train for you know 25 years. I mean, and in our generation, people st- stuck with companies. Does that have a an impact on on how we approach culture? If there's something you don't like in your culture, the first place to look is in the mirror, and I would say that is just as true, if not more true, of millennials. If they're not staying, the first place to look is in the mirror. I may be contrary to most people's beliefs about millennials, but I think they are more purpose-driven than our generation and the, mm. the previous three generations. In fact, there's a book called The Fourth Turning that suggests there's only four different generations in the U.S. and that one just follows the other naturally because it's reacting to the previous one. And I think the millennials are reacting to the, the money drive, the you know, the boomer type attitudes and, and the actors that, you know, didn't jump up, you know, my, mm. my generation that didn't jump up and, and they're jumping up. They could very well be the next greatest generation if you think about it that way. And so if you can agree with any of those comments, then it's not about millennials. It's about what is your organization? What is the culture of your organization? Are you running with purpose? Are you committed to teamwork or is it individually driven? Is it is it they're running away because they're running away from baby boomers and Xers? 
Or are they running away because they're running to a place that has more purpose or more more chances for them to make a difference? So that, that would be my opinion. I, I think it's about us, not about them. And in fact, they're going to do a lot for us. They're, I really think they're going to believe they're going to fix our government. That's the group that's going to fix our government. <laughs> oh, I like it. So in the title of the book, it's the ACBs of business leadership, right? And the A is the associates. You put the associates first. That's Talk right. a little bit about that. Isn't it the customer's always right? The customer comes first is, is the culture that I've, you know, been ingrained with. So No, that's and it's good. That's the real challenge of the book. Not the real challenge, but it's a one of the key things that could be misinterpreted in the book is associates, but for customers, we're supposed to be customer focused. We're relentlessly focused on those customers and, and the answer is yes and yes. And and the fact is that leaders, how often does a leader touch a customer? How often do our people touch a customer? Mm-hmm. And is that interaction customer focused? So if you don't focus on your people, making that a great place to work, you're not going to have a great place to buy, which means you're not going to have a great place to invest. So those are the three things you're trying to accomplish is best place to work, so that we serve our customers better than anybody else, best place to buy, so that our business is stronger. That's the B, which is the best place to invest. Talking here with Jason Bingham, the president of Residential HVAC and Supply at Ingersoll Rand. Jason, first off, we want to thank you again for taking time out to join us. The introduction wasn't fake. We are really honored to have you on this podcast. I think that this is something that our listeners and our dealers in the area are really going to benefit from especially your insight. Um, We think that you did a great job not only on the book, but in your leadership. And thank you again for joining us. Thanks for the offer. It's really a lot of fun to be here. Again, we want to thank Jason. We want to thank Kevin and Paula. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Search Taurus Talk or Taurus Tech Talk. You can also find us on Spotify or you can go to our website, com slash podcast. Thank you all again. We'll catch you next week on Taurus Talk. Thanks, everybody.